Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. What's up, War Report family? We are back with another great edition of Building Rapport. Guys, I got a very special guest. Joining me is the co-host of the AU Wishbone podcast, Van Allen Plexico, here to talk with me today about coaches at Auburn. Van, uh, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining me. Hey, well, thank you for having me on. It's really quite an honor, and uh, I appreciate you guys so much. And uh I'm excited to be here and talk to you, Mike. Oh, man. Listen, let's jump right in. Uh, yeah. Auburn has hired Hugh Freeze as the head coach, as the next head football coach. Uh, we are through the spring, uh, heading in. We're in a summer period right before fall camp. But I want to talk about the hire, uh, Van. Now, you know, I follow you on Twitter. You know, I've seen many conversations about whether or not Hugh Freeze was the right hire whether it was a moral hire, even, based on his past. Um, in his introductory press conference, he asked fans, he said, give me a chance to earn your trust. You know, and I think that people are split. Like, there, there's a whole faction of fans that feel like there's nothing you can do to earn my trust. And there's others that's just like, give the guy a chance. Talk to me a little bit from your perspective about how Hugh Freeze can earn your trust here in this situation, given, given his checkered past. Yeah, I think there's a third faction that just says, I want to win, and I don't care what he's done at Eagle. Yeah. He, he, he was a mass murderer in Louisiana or something. Who cares? <laughs> as long as he can win football games. So I think there's people are kind of all across the spectrum on it, really. And, um, you know, it it led to like a two-hour-long show episode of our podcast when, when that happened because uh, my co-host, John Ringer, was not nearly as happy. I, I mean— I was kind of cool, wait and see. I kind of felt like it was coming. It seemed like an Auburn move to me. He was kind of surprised, not very happy about it. But in the time since then, I think, um, you know, what what can he do to earn our trust? I think he's done it. I think that I think the number one thing he has to do is not do anything bad. Just don't get on the crime blotter in any way for a while, right? And then the number two thing he has to do is impress us with his football acumen as a coach 
to the point that we say, well, he hasn't done anything bad, and look what he is doing, right? Right. It's kind of a one, it's like a two-step, you know, don't make it worse, and then make it better in other ways, and I think you just slowly inch your way up by doing that. It, it, after that, it's, I think it's just time. After that, it's just a matter of time. People get used to him, get used to the idea. He doesn't do anything to discredit his, him being there, and he does lots of things to credit, if you know, you know, so to speak, uh, him being there. Mm. And certainly, everything he's done so far has made me, I think, more comfortable by the week. Really, I'm I'm very happy right now. So, well, he's working his ass off for sure, right? Like yes. a, a, yes. a big knock on the last coach, uh, uh, coach. You know, a lot of people have dubbed Coach Potato Head has. I, <laughs> you have the sound effect for us? <laughs> on the uh i was gonna say on our on our show um i i'm it's a whole big thing on our on our show that i won't say his name uh but i, I instead i substitute it with potatoes there you go <laughs> um well uh, mr potatoes did not uh from a lot of fans perspective recruit very hard uh, Hugh Freeze is the perception of him is the exact opposite. Man, I, I think he recruits in his sleep at this point. Yes. Um, you know, Auburn has had a really sketchy history over the last like five or six years. Going back to Gus recruiting offensive linemen, he went out and got like nine in his first try. Uh, yeah. And people totally. think that the offensive line is going to be better, that the team is going to be better. Um, so there's a football side. What I hear you saying is there's a football side to this. You know, and then again, there's a more like, like a kind of like a moral side to this, where there's some people who are just like, it just doesn't matter. Forgiveness is not owed. I'll never forgive him. Even as far as saying, I will not watch. What do you think about the fans that say, I will not watch football while Hugh Freeze is coach at Auburn? Yeah, there's an old Auburn mailing list going back 25 years that I've been on forever. And there are, there's a couple of people on it that basically are just like trying to put him on the hot seat now. Mm. Like, give me a break. I mean, you can object to the things he's done and you can say that you'd, re- you'd rather he not be our coach and somebody else had hired him instead. But to try to find fault now, I mean, and again, it, it, if you don't like him being our coach, it's based purely on things he did I was going to say even before Liberty, I think there was one thing happened at Liberty that people are unhappy about, but yeah. it really all goes back to Ole Miss. So you, to me, you can't, you, you got to be honest, right? If you, if you, if you want to put him on the hot seat before he's coached a single game, you got to admit it's because you just don't like his entire character, his past, you know, it's nothing he's done now. And, um, and, and what he did, you know, was, I mean, on the on the grand scale of things, I would say you know on on the not that bad end, you have like Bruce Pearl and others, not that bad. Mm-hmm. On the other far end of the scale, you've got uh, the old dude at Baylor, and he's somewhere in between there. Or Bryles, you know, Bryles, yeah, he's mm-hmm. somewhere between the two. But it's a very broad shade of gray that that area between the two, and 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 people kind of just disagree where on that spectrum I think he falls. And I think the better he does, the more he continues to keep his hands clean and everything. Now, the more it might shade toward the the better end and not the bad end. Yeah, morality can be subjective, you know, depending yes. on who you're talking oh, to, of right? Course. Right, Absolutely. and so. 
uh, I think, you know, from my perspective, I think a lot of what he did uh, in the past hurt his family, first and foremost. Sure. Uh, they've chosen to forgive him. His wife has chosen to forgive him, forgive him and move on. And I think that if he can re-earn her trust, he should have a chance to re-earn everybody else's trust. Now, you know, forgiveness is not something that's that's owed. We know that. You know, if you've lived life for any amount of years, you know, forgiveness is not owed to you. Uh, but certainly uh, for a man of faith like himself, he, he he obviously believes in grace and the grace that, you know, uh, you know, the God that he believes in provides. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I can tell you both from a religious and just from a personal standpoint, I, I believe in grace. Now, he said something else at that press conference that I thought was maybe a little bold in that, you know, he said, there's a lot of people in this room, if your life was under the microscope like mine was, you'd have to have a lot of uncomfortable conversations as well. Now, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he's pretty much saying, hey, man, we all got skeletons. And if I put the microscope on you guys like it has been on me, you know, let's see how you like it. <laughs> uh, you know, what do you think about that message in terms of give me a chance because we are all human? There's probably something to that, although I do think if you put the microscope on, oh, say, Gus Malzahn, you just find him drawing up plays in the closet with a magic marker <laughs> and the salt stick or something. But, but other than him, you know, normal people that don't obsess about formations 24 hours a day. No, I think that's right. Um, I, again, it's, it's just, you know, what it really comes down to is it's, I think you're absolutely right that people have different opinions and attitudes about what can be forgiven and how to forgive and all that. And I think there's also a matter of what you've done. And his, you know, his transgressions, a lot of it are kind of, a, a lot of it is kind of complicated. And so it's harder to have one objective kind of verdict on it because, you know, you look at it one way and go, oh, this was horrible. And you look at it another way and go, well, I mean, you know, mm. and it, it's just one of those things that everybody sees it differently. And what you bring to the table, like if you think he'd be a great coach and you're dying to see Auburn win and you don't know who we could get that would have been anywhere near as good, then, oh, maybe it wasn't so bad. You know, maybe what he did is all right. And if you don't like him anyway, and you really think Auburn should be setting a high moral standard for the SEC in the country and particularly given some of our things in the past, then he's kind of the last thing you want, right? He's, you know, we, we need to bring in, you know, Billy Graham, not, not this kind of thing. So <laughs> I, I just think that it's just a very, it's such a broad range. You, you have a broad range of views on, on his transgressions and you have a broad range of people's opinions on that. You have a broad, uh, it, it's just, it's all, it, it's not very cut and dry. That's the thing is what I'm getting. It's just, you know, it, it's something that's so open to interpretation that it's just hard for us all to agree on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So we know in life that if you embarrass your employer uh, publicly, it could lead to termination. Um, but how much should morality really be, you know, a part of this conversation? Now, the, you know, I like to, you know, when we talk about athletes, you know, a lot, some athletes have opened and said, I am not a role model. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. If, if you are looking to me to be a role model to your son, then you're doing parenting wrong. Um, <laughs> I agree that to some extent, but socially, I do think those guys have a responsibility because you can't stop these kids from looking up to them. And, you know, when you're in the public eye, 
uh, you should behave as such now. Um, but for a football coach, it's a little different because they are actually responsible for, to some extent, well, to a large extent, molding these guys into good human beings. Yeah. And the, I think the, the trouble that some people have, Van, is, is that if there are certain things that they've done in their past, how can you be an example for, you know, uh, for, for a kid, for a young man to behave a certain way when you've done certain things? Um, so, you know, is Hugh Freeze worthy of forgiveness? Well, uh, changing gears a little bit, a lot of people felt like that with Bruce Pearl. And I think you would be hard pressed to find anybody, any true Auburn fan right now that is holding Bruce Pearl's past against him right now. Um, you know, is this, is this the same? Are we talking about the same here in terms of the, uh, you know, the capacity to forgive and move on between Bruce Pearl and, and Hugh Freeze? Well, I think that Bruce had, there's, there's two things there that come to my immediate mind. One is what Bruce did and it's something that I think is not as offensive to, to most people as what Freeze did. Fair enough. Um, it's, and, and we talked about it before, it was, it, was, it was partly, you know, recruiting violations. Every, every school in the country does them. The lying to his employer, that was bad, and he paid the price for it. Yeah. He ended up, you know, working on TV for a couple of years there because of it. But um, but the thing that Bruce has done is exactly he I mean, talk about a role model. Bruce should be a role model for Hugh Freeze because the thing that Bruce has done is a not do anything else bad. And when we did have bad stuff happen, it was clearly not his fault, right? And he still took mm-hmm. took a hit for it recently. You know, yeah, the, the person business. He took a hit for it, and it wasn't his fault at all. Um, but a he he's he's kept his nose clean, and b He's won. He's he's succeeded. Yeah, that's the that's the two things I said. Hugh Freeze needs to do right. Keep your nose clean and succeed. Right, and and if if uh, if Freeze can emulate Bruce, then I think he could become just as beloved and maybe even quicker because, you know, as much as Auburn fans in the in, in recent years love basketball, and as much as we joke about over oh, a basketball school now. Newsflash: We're not a basketball school. <laughs> we'll always be a football school. We just have to be good at it for people to be excited about it. And 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 if and if Freeze has us good at it, a whole lot's going to be forgiven by a whole lot of people, rightly or wrongly. Mm, this is an interesting concept. Uh, winning covers a multitude of sins uh, it, when it comes to sports. It certainly can. Should it? Ah, but it does. There's right. no doubt it does. So how much winning does Hugh Freeze have to do? Because Gus was about eight a year. And he that was, was that was yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was good for eight years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Before, that's yeah. Right. Uh the symmetry there is 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 iconic. But uh, you know, for eight years, Gus won an average of eight games a season. And uh, there were some of the best moments in Albert history mixed in there, especially in that 2013 season, he had two of them uh, with the prayer and Jordan air. And then the, uh, and then the kick six uh, after that, beyond the near miss at the playoff in 2017, it was a lot of, I think what's fair to say mediocrity, a lot of very highly ranked recruiting classes that did not accomplish much. Uh, Hugh Freeze comes in as a guy who owns two wins versus Nick Saban. That's a short list, man. Those guys should have jackets, Dakota rings, something to signify. <laughs> I beat Hugh Freeze. I beat, I beat Nick Saban should be a T-shirt. Well, um, and Gus had 
what three? So he did. He did. I, I asked. I asked Nick Saban at the la- at last year's media days if he missed Gus. Yes, one man has the courage to ask Nick what? Saban. It went what viral on Twitter. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it went viral on Twitter, and uh, he smirked at me and he said, "You know, he beat us more than I would have." Yeah, I bet he did. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, uh, and it was always epic when he won, too. Those were epic games that Auburn, you know, won against uh, Nick Saban oh, and yeah. Gus Malzahn. You know, if if Hugh Freeze can, I guess to some extent, recreate some magic versus Alabama. And let me tell you, in year one, he might have a golden opportunity with them kind of being in flux at quarterback uh, and right. the game being at home. But At home, yes. Uh, if he can do that, does he have to, you know, how 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 willing are the administration and the fan base going to be to accept Gus-type results from Hugh Freeze? Is that going to be enough for him to keep his job for eight years? Or are they going to say, hey, man, eight wins a year for four years, we're out. This is not, we, we got to be better than this. That's that's a great question. I mean, yeah, if 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 Gus could get eight years out of, you know, eight and five, eight and five, eleven and two, seven and six, eight and five, eight and five, you know, that kind of thing. Um, how many wins does Hugh Freeze need to get per year to keep the ball rolling? And I mean, I think that the deal with Gus was everybody loved I never heard hardly anybody had a problem with Gus. It was just that we felt like with with the with the history of our program, with the caliber caliber of players that we can attract that we should have been winning more than eight and going and getting in the playoffs once. I mean, we never did. No. We were in the very last BCS, but we never got in the playoffs. I I felt like Gus was just, you know, like 85% there. It wasn't a big leap he needed to make. So I don't don't think Freeze needs to win 11 a year, Mm. though that would be great. Um, But I think, I I would love to be at least nine, maybe instead of eight. That might get you into an expanded playoff. Remember, the playoff is expanding to twelve teams. Yes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Right. And 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 what John and I have said over and over on our show is the playoff when it expands is going to be all that matters. That's going to be the only thing anybody you cares about. So. Bowl games. The bowl games are going to be like what the December twenty third bowl games are now. The SEC championship will be like, oh, that's kind of cool. But because think about basketball, this is the perfect analogy to, to see okay. the difference, right? How big of a deal is it when a team wins the regular season SEC basketball championship? Now, when Auburn wins it, it's huge because we were crap for, for 30 years. But I right. mean, if you're Kentucky, if you're Alabama, if you're Florida and you win the SEC championship one year, does anybody remember that a year later or two years later? No. What do they think about? How far did you get in the NCAA tournament? That's Mm. what they think about. Did you get in the NCAA tournament? How far did you get? Right? And Mm. so I think that's what's going to happen to football. It's going to be, oh, you won the SEC that year? Cool. Well, how'd you do in the playoffs? Did you beat Alabama? Did you beat Georgia? You know? And and to finish that, I didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole, but to finish that other thought, though, how far do we want Hugh Freeze to go? Again, I think the basement hopefully we'll be like nine. But mm-hmm. here's here's the example that I would love to see Auburn under Hugh Freeze reach. Out of nowhere over the last decade, we suddenly got Clemson. 
if we could have a decade like Clemson out of nowhere just did, that to me would be perfect, mm. right? Because we're never going to be the way you know Alabama is now every year. That's just not ever going to happen. It's just not. That's not us. We're the roller coaster team. But if we could just kind of have that late 80s competing for the national championship every year for several years in a row, kind of a run, you could put Hugh Freeze's face up on the Auburn Mount Rushmore. Yeah, let me tell you something. If you we're talking about a man's redemption arc, uh, that would certainly go a long way, I think, to moving him that direction. Uh, and you know, people starting to stop stopping the talk about his past and really focusing on talking about his future. Um, you know, and that would be great. That would be great for Auburn fans. It's it's something that uh, has been hard. Now I'll tell you, Van. We're not talking about Alabama, but I'm going to talk about Alabama for a second. Uh, <laughs> I I will tell you that in landing Nick Saban at head coach, Alabama is the luckiest program in the history of college football. The timing that had to happen for that hire to happen. Because remember, they were trying to hire Rich Rodriguez. They were. And they were such a dumpster fire, he like turned a job down, if I remember correctly. He was like, I don't want to go coach there. Screw that. You know, Saban, being probably a little bit more familiar with the SEC, saw it as still as a premier job. And, you know, uh, he wanted autonomy. Yes. That's what drove him back to college football was autonomy to, to, to be in control of every aspect of the program. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but when he was with the Dolphins, Nick Saban badly wanted Drew Brees. And if you remember, Drew Brees was leaving the Chargers coming off of a shoulder surgery. So a lot of people were scared of him. And Nick Saban was not. He was an excellent quarterback. Now, the GM and the owner overrode Nick Saban, if I remember correctly, and they ended up getting like Dante Culpepper or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you know how that story ended for both Drew Brees and, and the Miami Dolphins and Dante Culpepper, right? Drew Brees went on to become a Super Bowl champion and statistically is the greatest QB, statistically, to have ever played in the National Football League. So... He put up numbers that have not been are going to be hard for anybody to match because you're going to have to play a really really long time to break some of the numbers he set. You know, Brady played a long time. As great as Peyton Manning was, still Father Tom caught up to him a little faster than than it did with Brady. I feel like Brady could come back this season, like right now. I think he could jump into camp right now, probably play yeah. another season and be at yeah. least a top ten quarterback in the NFL. But um, it drove that, you know, not being able to have, I think, maybe seeing that play out in real time and then understanding that Nick Saban is an actual elite evaluator of talent. Like, that guy knew, man, Drew Brees was going to be it. And if they had got him, what would the Dolphins have been? Right? Think about that for a second. If the GM never overrides Nick Saban and he gets Drew Brees, he stays at Miami, and Alabama possibly stays in the basement of the SEC <laughs> for another at least five or six years, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, so, so, they, good. so they got lucky. Now, everybody, I, I said this to say this. Everybody else, Van, is on the hunt for their version of Nick Saban. Right. You see all these this money flying around the SEC because coaches are harder to find than players. 
at this level. There are, it is hard to find an elite coach, right? Does Auburn, you know, Auburn very openly flirted with Lane Kiffin. They landed on Hugh Freeze. We interviewed John Cohen and he said, listen, man, he was our first choice. Now, I don't, <laughs> do we, are we, are we to believe that? Hugh Freeze was the first choice of this athletic director in this administration. I, you know, I think it's weird. I think he might have been. Okay. But I think that they thought Lane Kiffin was the splashier choice and the safer choice. And by the way, to say that Lane Kiffin is a safer choice at anything is an amazing <laughs> thing to say, right? That's a, that's a crazy statement. Fair enough. And I'll even, I'll even go so far as to say, because I've called the Auburn coaching hire correctly the last, let's see, I guess Chiswick, you can ask John, I guess Chiswick, I guess I was, old, I, was, I was all in for Gus. I wanted him so bad. And um, I thought Tuberville... Um, but this time I, I was thinking we were going to hire freeze, but there was so much smoke around Lane Kiffin that I started getting on the lane train, I guess you can say, just because I didn't, I thought it would be embarrassing for Auburn after all that publicity not to get him. And it kind of was right. I, I, I look back, though, now, and I say the only reason I wanted Lane Kiffin was because I thought it would be embarrassing if we didn't get him after we made it so clear we were trying to get him. Right. But that being said, I do think Hugh Freeze is a better choice. I'm happier that we got Hugh Freeze than if we had had gotten Lane Kiffin. I I think it's one of those things where you, you, you know, if you're shopping for a car, Lane is one that looks really, really flashy, but may break down the driveway. And I think we'd have had big buyer's remorse very quickly. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think it would have been a, a really flashy kind of uh, 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 hire. Uh, he's very active on social media. Yeah. Lane is. I mean, he's very active on social media. But to what end? I, I mean, they, they finished the season terribly last year. Mm-hmm. Right now, currently, uh, if I'm trying to find uh, Ole Miss in terms of the recruiting rankings, I mean, they are way down there. So, uh, you know, Hugh Freeze is, is fighting for his life here, man. He's, he's, he understands the job that he has to do. And uh, hot take here. Um, hot take on Hugh Freeze here. Is it possible that his situation and the things that we talked about at the top of the broadcast – the things that he has to overcome make him a better candidate because he is going to be hungrier and has more to prove. Oh, I think you're right. I think that's there's a lot to that for sure. Yeah, I think he and I think he's from, again. This is just looking on from the outside, right? So we don't know what's in his head, but from everything he said and everything I've seen so far, I do get the sense that he is at a place in his life now where he understands and appreciates what is required of him in a job like this. And I think, um, I think he is hungry and I think he is just giving it his all. I mean, I, I think that if we'd gotten him, if we had had him when Ole Miss had him, it might've been eight and five every year again, right. you know, and, and, and it, it, very similar to Gus. I mean, I think now, I think his, I think his ceiling is higher now than it would have been a few years ago because yeah. of all this. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, Auburn certainly has to pick up offensively. I think some of the frustration that Auburn fans, you know, and again, donors and uh, administration alike have had is, is that they've hired three straight offensive head football coaches, and they have been absolutely horrid at times on offense. So, uh, you know, think about how many games Auburn has played in the last like five or six years, going back three head coaches, essentially, where they c- couldn't win a game because they couldn't score three touchdowns. It was particularly well, was the frustrating. Coordinator. So if you go back to Chizik, he was defense, right? Right. The last right. two, the last two have been offensive masterminds, but in different ways. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like he had Gus, he had Gus, right? And I think that Gus's um Gus's philosophy on offense when he was a coordinator at Auburn was somewhat revolutionary. And they actually had to change the rules to the game to some extent to slow down some of these up-tempo spread type offenses. Now, Saban saw that shift happening and you know, he went out and he hired Lane Kiffin to come in and be his offensive coordinator because he he realized three yards in a cloud of dust offense is no longer going to be acceptable. So Alabama went from having game managers with great running backs to becoming literally, in my opinion, like quarterback you over the last like eight years. And it's not the first time we've seen that evolution. I mean, this this is almost a duplicate of of what happened when – like in the early '80s, all the all the SEC teams were run heavy, and you know, and Oklahoma was run heavy with uh, under Barry Switzer. And then who came along and shook it all up? Miami with the passing game, with right. all their great quarterbacks. And when Miami started winning national championships out of nowhere with a great passing game, then Florida brought in Steve Spurrier, right? And uh, and and they fun and, and gun, and, fun and gun, and, and everybody starts throwing the ball more. Pat Dye brought in um, Pat Sullivan to be the like a passing game coordinator and turn Jeff Berger from an option quarterback into a passing quarterback and Reggie Slack. And so, um, yeah, you see this same evolution every, it's like a cycle every few years where, uh, you know, everybody's power running the ball and then here comes somebody that can throw it over your head and you got to, Oh, everybody wants to be that is the exact. Yeah. Exact same thing. 
Mm. And in fact, let me recommend a book to you and your listeners if you're not uh, aware of it. I can't remember the author, but there's a great book called The Perfect Pass. We talk about it on our show occasionally. It's called The Perfect Pass. And it basically is a biography of Mike Leach, Hal Mummy, and the whole air raid basketball on grass squad of coaches and players. And it, it talks about them, but it also talks about the game in a way that anybody can follow and understand. So if you really want to understand the evolution of passing in football over the last 30 years or whatever, that book is fantastic. It's just well-written. It's really, really good. Mm. I'm, I'm talking it up like I wrote it myself. I didn't. <laughs> but it's really, really good. Well, we're going to get to you as an author here in a second. The Perfect <laughs> Pass, uh, American Genius in the Reinvention of Football, uh, written by S.C. Gwynn. Uh, came out in 2016 uh, for our listeners there. If you want to go, uh, we appreciate the uh, uh, the literature mm-hmm. recommendation. Um, so understanding the game at a deeper level, uh, I want to close the discussion out about Hugh Freeze, about talking about the two things that he touted during his introductory press conference. He said, I am really good at turning programs around quickly and quarterback development. Now, quarterback Amen. has been a big topic of discussion at Auburn. And I, I would argue that the talent at Auburn has been good enough that when they've been able to find a good quarterback, it's been instant championship contention. So when were those years? Uh, obviously, in 2004, they went undefeated when Jason Campbell realized his potential as one of the best quarterbacks in the nation coming out of high school. Uh, Brandon Cox followed him up. They had an 11-2 and season you know, with Cox's quarterback. And then it went downhill. It ended it with Tuberville being let go as head coach in 2008. Gene Chizik came in in 2009, brought in Gus Malzahn as offensive coordinator. In his first year, he set Auburn touchdown passing records with Chris Todd at quarterback. Chris Todd, yes. <laughs> yes. Now, Chris Todd is a friend of the show. He's come on many. He's done film breakdowns with us. Uh, Chris came in with no spring and won the job in yeah. fall camp. Uh, now, this was an incredible story, event. if you haven't heard it. Chris said that he was taking snaps third in fall camp that year. And so when they were making the decision, they were calling them into the head coach's office in the order that they were taking snaps in practice. And from his perspective, he felt like, crap, if I had won the job, they're either going to call me in first or last. They're either going to break it to everybody, to the the winner first, or they're going to break it to them last. Um, But, uh, they set the moment up for maximum drama for everybody. <laughs> and when he came in the third and they said, you're going to be the next starting quarterback at Auburn University, his mouth hit the floor. Couldn't believe he won the job. And he was a very, if he had not been for the shoulder injury, he was a very underrated quarterback, if you ask me. Now, the next year they go out and they 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 get Cam Newton and we know what happened there. Uh, oh, yeah. A couple of years later, uh, you know, Chizik is gone and Gus comes back and he, Gets a former DB from Georgia uh, by way of Kansas Community Amazing. College. Yeah. And Nick Marshall comes in and, and they came up three points short of a national title. I was there in Pasadena with some yes, buddies sir. from college. Um, but then they go on a little bit of a drought and they find Jarrett Stidham. And again, just this short man of mm-hmm. of the playoff. If they have beat Georgia in that SEC championship, they're in the playoff. And then what I think was the undoing of Gus Malzahn happens. They recruit a legacy quarterback in Bo Nix. He is touted as, man, the next coming of football royalty at Auburn. Uh, he was a five-star quarterback, um, you know, coming out of Alabama. 
you know, one of the highest rated in the country is top 50 player. This yeah. is supposed to be, you know, Auburn doesn't get a ton of five stars. Even in all, if you go back, you look at Gus's recruiting classes, even though they were top 10 classes, there were not a ton of five star athletes. And these no. van are supposed to be can't miss players. Right. I almost always miss. <laughs> I don't know right. why. Our five-star right. players almost always, always, always miss. miss. Byron Coward was one yes. of the – he was an offense, but you understand he, he was oh, the yes. number one high school recruit in the country that year. And Calvin he transferred Ashley. out. Calvin Ashley. Oh, um, my goodness. The, the, uh, the quarterback in 2015 that didn't even make it as a DB eventually, he was a oh. five-star. Yeah. Oh yeah, my gosh! Our five stars never. The running back was from, it Kyle uh, Frazier. Kyle Frazier was a five star. Yeah, Kyle Frazier. <laughs> yeah. Kyle Frazier. That's it. Yeah. Um, the running back from Oxford that fumbled in the Iron Bowl and then transferred to Jacksonville State or whatever. He was a five star. Our five was it star. Was Whitlow? No, 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 no. He was good. Um, mm-hmm. The one that played so little, little guy, didn't play very much. Fumbled in the Iron Bowl and uh, it was from it's up near up near Talladega, and um, mm. he transferred to Jacksonville. He only mm. played like oh Rock Thomas, Rock. Yep, That's yeah, Rock it. Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Rock yeah. Thomas. Was five stars. Stars. Yeah, man. Yeah. So we when you talk about out. evaluation, this is yeah. what I mean when I say evaluation. But at quarterback in particular, it has been a long history of misses. Yeah. Now people will argue that uh, Auburn was more the problem than Bo Nix. Um, I would say there's probably some truth to that. Uh, but I will say I don't I don't think he was a five star quarterback uh, because I don't think five star quarterbacks are that much of a project and there's a higher ceiling. I'm sorry, there's a higher floor for five star in terms of production. Okay. Um, and I'll be blunt, man. I, I think a lot of excuses were made for Bo that would not have gotten made for other five star quarterbacks at other programs. Um, Spencer Rattler, for example, you know, five star guy goes to. Oklahoma does he just doesn't live up to expectations. They didn't make excuses for him. He just he didn't play like a five star. He wasn't. I mean, I, I don't think he's talentless. You know, Caleb Williams, five star. Yeah, he transfers to USC, wins the Heisman. Right. So, so you know, if you are a five star player and you're actually a five star player, I think I think that the floor is a little bit higher than what we saw uh, yeah, from at Auburn. Right now, that's not to say that he doesn't have talent. He went to Oregon, and I think he showed that he has the talent, you know, to, to do some things. And now I got to put a little bit of an asterisk by last season because he played one SEC team and it looked worse yeah. than all the other games he played against that team while he was at Auburn. And, you know, like six of the quarterbacks in that league threw for, like, <laughs> the pack had eight quarterbacks throw for 3,000 yards or more. Eight. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Michael Pitt, I mean, uh, Caleb Williams won the Heisman and he wasn't even the leader in yards thrown in the pack. Right. Yeah, Michael right. Penix was. So Dif- Different uh, team, different system, different mm-hmm. opponents. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's difficult to play that game and everybody is, just like everybody is searching for a five-star coach, you're all, that coach is searching for a five-star quarterback to help lead the system because today's college football, without dynamic quarterback plays, it's really hard to win it all. You know, and we've seen that. Think about think about the quarterbacks who have won national championships over the last few years, right? Um, you know, uh, uh, Joe Burrow, right? Yeah. Mac Mac Jones had a prolific season at, at Bama in twenty twenty in terms of uh, accuracy. You know, he played behind one of the best O lines I've ever seen. Um, you know, uh, uh, even Stetson Bennett in year two. Yeah. 
put up 4,000 yards past. I mean, he was he was prolific. And I would argue that as good as that defense was, if he doesn't raise his game in year two, Georgia doesn't go back to back. So you have to find a quarterback. And Hugh Free says, I am good at developing quarterbacks. How big of an How uproar big? should there be from the fan base if Auburn is poor at quarterback for the next two or three years or, or below average? Right. Well, I mean, he's addressing the he's addressing the things we were most concerned about, you know, developing quarterback. Because, I mean, even when Gus had good quarterbacks, they were quarterbacks that were transfers that had already learned how to play somewhere else and came in and just did his his system. And so, you know, the, the quarterbacks that we brought in as as freshmen, arguably Bo Nix was the best of all the ones we brought right. in as a freshman. Say, you know, for whatever you want to say about how good he was or not, you know, he was certainly better than all the rest of them that were freshmen when they started out. But it's um, hard. It's hard to start as a freshman and find success. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jason Campbell struggled for three years before he got the right offensive coordinator mm-hmm. and all the talent he had around him. My goodness, bless his heart. Um, so yeah, I, I, I he's he's bringing in offensive linemen. He can do good things with the passing game and the quarterback. I mean, that is what we want to hear because Auburn's going to have a good defensive line most years. We're going to have running backs. We're going to have kickers. I, you know, John and I always are amazed. When was the last time Auburn didn't have a great kicker? In my thinking, it's 1986 was the last year we didn't have a great. That's amazing, isn't it? So we're gonna have we're gonna have great everything else, but if you can get that offensive line playing like it did in say 2013, and and I would argue by the way that as much as the quarterback was an issue, if Gus had ever had a 2013 offensive line again, we'd have been so much better. But I don't know what the deal was. Well, yeah, Nobody, I mean, uh, he like stop, stopped recruiting offensive linemen out of high school, and it was it, they just the same way that. They weren't developing quarterbacks as freshmen. It was happening at offensive line as well, too. For some reason, the pipeline from high school at that position was like non-existent. And they just kept missing. And, you know, they were going out and they were trying to find experienced guys through, you know, from junior college because there there wasn't exactly a portal when Gus was at Auburn, right? Right. But, I mean, it, it is tough. You need a line. and But if you can find a dynamic enough quarterback, Though, though it, it, it mitigates some of some of your exposure on the line. And, and Bryce Young is probably my greatest example. People don't talk enough, Van, about how bad Bama's O-line has been the last two years. Yeah. From a pass-blocking perspective, they have been awful. Bryce That's Young good. has been Superman behind that line. <laughs> he had like, to run for his life. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I'm telling you, if it were not for Bryce Young, they definitely lose to Texas last year. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. They're not in the conversation for anything without a Bryce well, Young type talent at quarterback. With that, they order. lose to Auburn in 2021. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. You know, I mean, and defensively, Auburn did a great job on him that game. But when the game was on the line and a five star player has to make the play to win the game, that's what they go out and do. They go out and do what Bryce Young did. He sucked the whole game. But when they needed him to win the game, the, the last drive in overtime, he was on the money. He answered the bell. Yeah. Right. So Hugh Freeze, I, I personally think his charge is to do that. Find a quarterback who can answer the bell enough. Yeah. Right. And then put enough yeah. talent around him that he can do that consistently. 
And so, I think he will. I think I have confidence that he will. And so that's why I feel good about all this. Yeah. Well, the second part of that was turning programs around quickly, Van. So um, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> what's quickly, right? We, we don't, I don't think anybody expects an SEC championship in year one. But no, what does it have no. to look like in year two for people to feel like it's headed well, that direction? I, I think it's. I think everybody, whether they say it out loud or just thinking it, I think everybody kind of is thinking the same thing right now, which is win all the games we're supposed to win. That gets us to about five and seven, six and six, and then win a couple of toss-ups to get us to like seven or eight wins. And if you can then find a way to beat one of the big boys in a big mm-hmm. shocking upset, now we're back to Pat Dye in the 80s, you know, going out and, you know, winning at Florida State or winning yeah. at Florida or something like that territory. That's I think that's what people are really looking for. We, we want to get back to the level where we are seen as competitive with Alabama, Georgia, Florida, mm-hmm. Tennessee, those LSU, right? We think of ourselves as part of the big six. And historically we have been, but lately we have not been. And I was very afraid that we were about to settle on being on the same level as Kentucky, South Carolina, Arkansas. And that's not where we're supposed to be, but that's where we've been settling into. And we belong on the top six level, not the middle level. And, and, and that's what we got to do is, I think this season, just get one that we're not expecting. I don't right. care which one it is. And don't lose any that you shouldn't lose, right? Don't go out. And, and lose to UMass or anything, obviously. But don't, you know, don't lose. Beat Cal. Beat Cal. Mm-hmm. Find a way to beat Ole Miss or Arkansas. One of, one of those would be great. You know what I mean? And look competitive. Look competitive at home against Georgia and Alabama, even if you don't win. And then in year two, now you got to, it, it, I mean, it depends on who we can bring in, but you got to think that if we, can, if we can exceed expectations just a little bit that first year, you know, it's usually the second or third year that coaches have their big success. Right. Because that's that's when you're you're attracting the players, they're paying attention. You've you've put something on the field they can look at and go, Oh, I want to be part of that. Because right now there's nothing to show. Right? right. We're we're recruiting right now on promise and potential. But if we can give them a product on the field to attract players next year, then next year I want to win. I'd love to win double digits. Yeah, for certain. Proof of concept is going to be really important for Hugh Freeze here this season. This season, he has to show proof of concept. You know, if you want wide receivers, top tier to wide receivers, look at how we throw the ball. Now, uh, I can tell you uh, we're doing a fireside chat series, and our first group was wide receivers. And we got to talk to those guys about this uh, offense that they're potentially going to be playing in and their excitement level for that. But Auburn has not thrown the ball well consistently almost ever, right? Jared Stidham was probably the best pure passer that's come through Auburn in the last 20 years. And yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's you know, he played in an offense that was more run play action than anything. Uh, so we maybe didn't show off his arm as much as, as Auburn could have. But uh, he's going to have to, Hugh Freeze is going to have to turn that around. This is a man who's leading receiver every year as a head coach has averaged 860 yards pa- uh, receiving. That number is prolific at Auburn. And I'll tell you, Auburn has had Seems good. 1,000 yard receiver since 1999. You, you, you know who it is? You know his last 1,000 yard receiver? I, well, we talked on our show last week about how the last all-SEC receiver we had was Frank Sanders mm-hmm. 
which is insane, by the Crazy. way. It's been that long. Because we've had some good receivers since then. Mm-hmm. Bunch of them, but. Ronnie Daniels was the yeah. last 1,000 yards yeah. Yeah, that, that they had. And Darvin Adams came up, should be noted, oh. in 2010. He came out just short, like at, like just 996 short. yards, I think he had on that season. We had a lot of good receivers on the team spreading it around, though, though that year. So that's yeah. awesome. Terrell Zachary and Darvin mm-hmm. Adams were probably one of the most underrated wide receiver pairs oh, yeah. in Auburn history because Cam took a lot of that spotlight that year. Um, but and those guys know, were really good. And you know who ended up with the most, I believe, the most touchdown receptions in that on that crowd, though, was Emory Blake. Yeah, absolutely. Even yeah, over was, those two. So that and then you had and then you had um our tight end. Lesson Kirkin. Lesson Kirk, yeah. I mean, yeah. you had lots of targets. Mm-hmm. Mario Fannin. Mario Fannin was on that team. I mean, it's a pass it, catching it, running back. Yeah, and they and they only put two guys in the draft from that year. It was Cam and Nick. That's amazing. Yeah, no, nobody on offense got drafted. Incredible. Ontario McCaleb, I believe, was on that team. Um, he stuck around for another 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 couple of years. He was there. He was on the eleven and twelve teams. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, but he was. I mean, you if you look back on it, it was. Uh, they had the much hair five star running back in Michael Dyer that year as well too, yep. who <laughs> infamously stayed on his. Uh, uh, the, was he down or wasn't he down? Played the national title game. Now, there was a ton of talent around them that year, and oh, you know, from sure. a passing perspective, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Q Freeze implements this offense. Which, quite honestly, nobody knows what it's going to be yet. Really, um, yep. he's his system with Philip Montgomery's. Now, if you don't know who Philip Montgomery is, he 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 was offensive coordinator at Baylor during RG3's Heisman run. That offense averaged 600 plus yards a game. Yikes. Again, all these anything close to these numbers would be absolutely prolific at Auburn. And in years one and two for Hugh Freeze, I have to say, Van, he got a lucky draw on both those schedules. Oh yeah. He got a really lucky draw on both those schedules. So, yeah. you know, we'll see what he can do. Um, and, and, you know, my, my favorite statistic I've heard so far, too, on those lines, this is just so funny. You're talking about how long it's been since we've had a great receiver, really great mm-hmm. receiver. Well, in terms of quarterback and everything, people are people that talk down about Peyton Thorne. And we, again, we don't know if Peyton Thorne is going to be the starter. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we love Robbie, obviously. They're, but we'll see what happens. But here's the funny thing. If, if you took... Peyton Thorne's worst statistical season at Michigan State, it would be a top 10 Auburn passing season. <laughs> That's a quote. I'm putting that, I'm putting your face on a graphic with that quote. <laughs> that's yeah. well, I heard it around, but that's <laughs> wow. it, it, it just sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. If okay, so you say if you take his worst statistical Michigan season, season at Michigan State at state, it would be a be top 10 all-time all Auburn passing season. Wow. Right. Um, one thing that we say on our show all the time about Payne Thorne is that he raises the floor in the Auburn quarterback room. Yeah. Yeah. He raises the floor. Last year, they, they threw for like 2,000 yards total of quarterbacks, I think, did. And he threw for 2,700 on his own, 19 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. So, obviously, you want those interceptions down a little bit, but they were a mess last year. And so when, he, when he had a running back. He was much better. Oof, man, yeah. Uh, so he'll have a he'll have a running back this Walker. year if he's if he's the quarterback. If he's the quarterback, he'll have a he'll have a running game. So he'll have a whole stable of them. He will behind a, pro, uh, nice. uh, a pro, behind a much improved offensive line. I think because 
They could not have played worse. They can't play. It would be hard for them to play worse. (laughs) So we'll see. Well, uh, Van, I want to talk a little bit before we get out of here about your book. Yeah. You got a book. Uh, there's some stories. There's some interesting stories in this book. Tell, tell us about tell our listeners about your book, man. And uh, I want to get into some of these stories about uh, some Auburn legends. Well, we, John and I have done several Auburn books, and I'll tell you two. I guess two years ago, uh, we we published we believed a lifetime of Auburn football, volume one, which covers from the end of the Shug Jordan era through the end of Terry Bowden. So, if you want to see, if you want to read about like. Basically, we cover every football game from 1975 through 1998. That's a lot of football games. This is, I know we're audio here, but this is a very mm-hmm. thick book, right? It's every football game for all those years, and it's our recollections of it, our analysis of it, quotes, play-by-play, all that. Okay. So that's if you like football. If you like basketball, we had, John and I have been talking for years about doing a book on Auburn basketball history because there's... I mean, there's a lot of books on Auburn football, not a lot of books on Auburn basketball. And um, we decided um, when when Auburn was doing so well, you remember, I guess it was January, February of last year was when the basketball team was tearing it up, right? They were, I mean, the 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 previous year when they were, you know, when we had our two NBA guys and we were just kicking butt, right? Yep. And I said, if we're ever going to do a basketball book, this is the time, right? Everybody's excited about Auburn basketball. Everybody's following it. So we started working on it. We were hoping to get it done before the end of March Madness. That didn't work out. But we did get it done by that summer. And it's called Auburn Basketball from Barkley to Bruce. And it basically starts right at the beginning with the hiring of Sonny Smith. And we had a long conversation with Sonny that was fantastic. He's always entertaining. Lots of good stories. And lots of good insights, too. We asked him about Bruce, what he thought about Bruce and everything. There's a lot of good insights there. So it starts with, uh, with Sonny. Uh, Barkley comes into play. And we just go season by season, topic by topic, game by game. We talk about the Elite Eight run with Chuck Person and Chris mm-hmm. Morris. We talk about the final four years. We, talk, we have a whole section on the controversies around Bruce when we hired him and how, uh, how Jay Jacobs went about hiring him. But um, I got to tell you, though, the, my favorite thing, other than Sonny's stories, Sonny has the best little one-liners. They're hilarious. But other than that, the stuff we dug up on Charles Barkley, um, I got to tell you one real quick because you'll appreciate this. <laughs> All right. So, well, there's, there's two really good ones that always come to my mind. Um, um, one of them is that he didn't want to be drafted by the 76ers. He didn't think they were going to offer him very much money. Hmm. And he knew that their owner didn't like overweight players. So Barkley went to like a Waffle House at 8 o'clock in the morning and ate all day before his his medical evaluation. What? (laughs) And he ate so much food that he gained like, I don't know how many pounds. And then I I struggle to remember exactly how it played out. But they drafted him anyway. (laughs) He went and did all that, and they drafted he tried him anyway. To sabotage himself, and they and, drafted him and anyway. So, and so he then tried to lose all that weight, end up in the hospital. <laughs> so all of that was for nothing. He still got, but they did dig up some money for him, so he ended up being happy. And he was happy in Philadelphia, but he didn't think he was going to be. Oh man! And there's some really good quotes there from from like uh, uh, the other, like Dr. J and others that were with him at Philadelphia at first. Really good. All right, now here's the other one, real quick. This is the one I love. So you know. Uh, 
84 was an Olympic year. Mm-hmm. And, the, uh, and the U.S. Olympic basketball team was being coached by Bobby Knight. Okay. So Bobby Knight brings in all the players that are eligible to be on the Olympic team. And, of course, the big names were Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley. And you're like, those two are going to be on the team. I don't know who else is going to be there, but Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley are going to be on the team. Oh, no. Because um, Bobby Knight and Charles Barkley are oil and water. So here's the perfect example. This is the perfect example of what happened. So on the very first day, because Bobby Knight thought of himself as a Marine drill sergeant, right? Mm -hmm. He thought he was General Patton or something. So the very first day that they all meet, all these great players, these are just all-time great 80s NBA superstars to be, right? When they're still in college, coming out of college. And um, Knight says to him, now you guys are all going to be here not a minute late. I don't want you one second late. You're all going to be here on time or I'm going to chew your butts out, right? He's just like laying down the law. Nobody's late. Nobody's late. And they're all like, yes, coach, yes, coach, yes, coach. And so like the very first meeting they have the next day or the next week or whatever, the players all get there, no Bobby Knight. Ten minutes after the time for the meeting to start, Bobby Knight walks in ten minutes late. They're all terrified of him. Nobody says a word. They all just kind of look at him. Nobody says a word. And then Charles Barkley stands up and goes, Yo, Knight! And points at the clock. Yo, Knight! He's the only one that would say something to Bobby Knight about being late. And after that, Charles was not on the team. Oh, wow. He was gone. As good as he was, Knight just didn't want anything to do with him. Mm. Couldn't deal with him. Couldn't handle him. But wow. I just love Charles. Everybody else is just chewing their finger, not saying a word, and Charles just stands up and goes, Knight! <laughs> Points That's at the clock. incredible. That I is incredible. That. I'll tell you, um, obviously, Charles made a very important o- Olympic team. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And uh, those guys did something legendary at that time. But I've had the opportunity uh, to be around Charles Barkley uh, in some non-conventional Auburn scenarios at bars or, you know, uh, I met him out at the national title game in 2013 at a party. Uh, and he is, he has as much of a character in real life as he is on TV <laughs> <laughs> for certain. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, uh, where can people get your book? Where can people get your book, Ben? Um, they're uh, obviously on Amazon is the, probably the best place. Barnes mm-hmm. and Noble can get them in if they don't, they don't often carry those kind of things, but they'll, they'll get them in. And if you go to the Auburn, if you're in Auburn, the Auburn AU bookstore in Haley center has, uh, has both uh, Auburn basketball and we believe. Okay. All uh, right. Pretty much wherever you get books, they can get it if they don't have it. Well, I want to thank Van Allen Plexico, a co-host of the AU Wishbone podcast for joining me tonight. Uh, Van, before we get out of here, also tell people where they can find you on social media and listen to your podcast. Yeah, John and I do the uh, the AU Wishbone podcast. This is our 11th year doing it. every. We do it every Monday night. So if you stay up late, it usually goes up about midnight Monday night. So if you get up Tuesday morning, it'll be there in your podcast feed. Or you can just go to www.auwishbone.com. And I'm on Twitter, especially talking Auburn stuff all the time at, at Van Allen Plexico, Van A L L E N B L E X I C O. All me. right. Well, uh, you can catch us on Twitter at The War Report. I'm Mike Giddens at Mike Giddens on Twitter. Guys, that's it for another great edition of the Auburn Express podcast powered by The War Report. We'll be back at you guys next week with more great content. We're signing off. As always, worry. Worry.